Uh, well, this morning we're in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. And we're going to read the first 21 verses, page 896, if you're in your pew Bible. John chapter 10, page 896. As you turn there, I want to say thank you to Sam Bowman. Uh, next Sunday, David Heinrichs is coming back, so we're all very excited about that. And uh, we're excited to hear from him. And But, you know, when somebody leaves, it's a big part of your team. Somebody has to pick up some piece that they're not used to picking up. And Sam's done a great job with the music. And uh, I was just thinking uh, today, you know, we didn't have a piano player, and he was worried about that. And uh, then he was going to sing something for the offering, and he told me, he said, Paul, I had a nightmare about it last night, so I'm not going to sing. And uh, so it's just funny how you don't know all that stuff that's happening. You just come and sing, go, oh, that was awesome, and you just move on. But you know how it is for your own life, don't you? you got all this stuff going on inside that maybe nobody can really see. And so that's happening to all of us. And thank you, Sam, for your gifts and your talents. Uh, but we want to read John chapter 10, these 21 verses here. And I'm just going to have you remain seated and you just think through these verses as Jesus is talking to his disciples and to the Pharisees that he's addressing here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep and all who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? 
Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind man? Let's take a few minutes to reflect together on God's word. You may know that when the Bible was uh, written, it wasn't divided into chapters and verses. It was just a, a letter. Uh, and then some many years later, they put the chapters and verses, which I think is generally helpful. But what happens sometimes, like in John chapter 10, you don't realize there's a story flowing from really back in John chapter 7 all the way into John chapter 10. So what's, what's happening uh, up until this point is... Jesus has come to Jerusalem for a great festival, and he has this ongoing dialogue with the religious leaders, the, the, the legalists of Jesus' day. And he heals a man that was born blind, chapter before, which is really a wonderful thing, and there's only just one little catch. He healed the man on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, if you were Jewish. And so it's a great thing to heal a person who was born blind. You just can't do it on Saturday. It's That's just against the rules. I mean, we're happy if you do it on Sunday or you can do it on Friday. But on Saturday, that's or Saturday, that's work. And we just can't have somebody come in here breaking the rules. And so this agitating sort of heated dialogue spills over for several chapters. And basically, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus And asking this question, who do you think you are? Coming in and playing by a different set of rules. That's not how you operate. You gotta come in and you gotta kinda get inside the walls. You gotta get in the lanes, Jesus, and you're not running in our lanes, and that's frustrating. Jesus isn't, just isn't playing by the rules. And this agitation, which you see, you see in the very last verses, he has a demon. He's insane. This agitation John is bringing to our attention or the reader's attention to cause you to think about the same question. Who do I think Jesus is? That's that's the whole point of John's gospel is he tells you in the beginning who think who he thinks Jesus is. He tells you at the very end who he thinks Jesus is, but he tells you this whole long 20 chapters so you can decide for yourself. Who do you think Jesus is? He's trying to stir up in you just your thinking about it because the one thing John doesn't want you to leave having read his gospel is to go, I don't know. I mean, does it matter? I mean, Jesus, you get get Jesus, you get God, you can get other things and get to God. It's like, you know, God's on the mountaintop and Jesus is one road. There's a bunch of roads up to the top. I mean, it really doesn't matter, does it? Why are you so exercised about this? And Jesus and John would say, no. Please, that's like the worst thing you can think if you're a reader of the Gospel of John. That Jesus either is who he says he was. He's God in the flesh. He's God with skin on. Or he really is insane. Those are the only two options. He's not allowing you to just be apathetic and say, I don't know, does it really matter? It really matters. The difference between what you decide about Jesus is the difference between life and death. He has come to give life and give it abundantly. And any other option is a thief who has come to kill and steal and destroy. There's not a third road. 
Those are the two options. If you look at verse 18, Jesus says this about himself. It's really remarkable. You can kind of read by it and not think about it. I have authority to lay down my life. Okay. I mean, I guess everybody has that authority. I mean, I can fall on the grenade for my friends. You do have the authority to to do something with your life. But then he says, I have authority to take my life up again. I mean, who talks like that? I mean, I have authority over my life. And then when I'm dead, I have authority over my deadness. I mean, who talks like this? I mean, when you're dead, you don't have any authority. It's all over. Whatever authority you had ended when you die, unless you're Jesus. And Jesus has authority over life, and he has authority over death. Nobody talks like this unless you're really Jesus, and you're really God in the flesh, or, or you're crazy. Those are really the only options. So here we have this conversation that's spilling out about this blind man in from chapter 9 into chapter 10. And Jesus is giving what he calls a figure of speech, this analogy about a sheep and a shepherd. And as we look through here, I want us to just take a look at three different groups of people. First, the sheep. Then I want us to think about the thieves and the robbers. And then finally, the, the good shepherd. So let's look at those three in turn. The sheep. There's a, there's a great little book called A Shepherd's Look at the Psalms. And the, the writer, a guy named Philip Keller, he was a shepherd for a while. And during that time, he obviously took note of what it was like to, to be a shepherd of sheep. And then he, he began to read back into the Psalms and see what uh, the, the psalmist was writing about being a shepherd. And what he learned about being a shepherd, or maybe what he learned about the sheep, was not really a very pretty picture. Sheep, if you don't know, are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. And so one of, one of the things that makes them particularly difficult to be around is that they're nearly blind and very stubborn. So think about this combination. Blind, I don't know what I'm doing. Stubborn, I think I know what I'm doing. And so what happens with the sheep is they they got their heads down most of the time because they're eating, and they'll get too close to the edge of a cliff. But when the shepherd comes and says, let's move on, they don't want to move on. And so sheep have been known to eat themselves right off the edge of a cliff. And the shepherd's like, what an idiot. In Scotland, they, they have some plateaus that are just below the edge of the cliff. And what happens sometimes with those sheep is they see this plateau and they can smell this green grass growing on this plateau. And they just can't stop themselves from jumping down on the plateau. So they jump down maybe five, six, ten feet. They eat all the grass on the plateau. But they have a little problem. Sheep can't climb in case you didn't notice. So they get stuck. And the shepherd knows, I can't jump down on the plateau while the sheep is still eating, because if he's eating, he'll jump off the plateau. That's really smart. So he has to wait until the sheep has eaten all the grass, gets hungry, gets thirsty, starts to whine, and needs help. That's when the shepherd can come in. He can't come in in any other place because the sheep's too stupid to know he's getting help, and he'll just jump off. That's stupid. 
Then if the sheep gets a lot of wool, what happens, they like to, you know, scratch their back, just like you might want to. Can't quite get it, so what do they do? Roll over. So they roll over, but with all this wool, they can't get back right again. So they're like going, "Uh uh-oh, I got stuck. And what happens is gas builds up in their stomach and paralyzes their legs. So now just imagine, so like this. It's called a cast sheep. And so one of the things the shepherd does with a rod is it sticks it up underneath the sheep and rolls it back over. But then the shepherd has to massage the legs of the sheep in order for it to get circulation back. And then the sheep can go back and eat himself off a cliff or whatever else the sheep does. You never see a group, a, a herd of wild sheep, do you? Oh, I went out there and there was a bunch of wild sheep out there. Why don't you see wild sheep? They can't survive in the wild. Not for any length of time. So let's say a wolf or a bear was coming to attack the sheep. They don't have the speed to outrun anybody. They can't see where they're going. They don't have any claws. They don't bark. They don't hiss. They don't do anything that would scare a predator off. So this is what the sheep do. They get together and run in a circle and just hope they don't get picked off. Now, this if I'm a bear or a wolf, I'm like, this is a buffet. I mean, they're just going to stay here and run in a circle. Whack. This is how stupid sheep are. Who are the sheep in this picture? You and me. If you don't understand that one point, you'll never see Jesus. Because if you're wealthy and educated and you think you got mostly it's going on for you. And yeah, you got this trouble over here on the side or something or you're dented, but you're not broken. You know, whatever you think of it, that's I'm kind of okay, and I need somebody to kind of help me out here. You're not going to see who Jesus is. You have to see yourself as really a helpless, dumb sheep. That if you and I were left on our own, we'd eat ourselves right over a cliff. We'd get ourselves stuck thinking, oh, this is pleasurable, and then we couldn't roll back over and we'd die. That's how we would operate. Some of you know, yes, I've operated like that. I know how that feels. So the first thing when you look at this story, you're just trying to identify who these characters are, and you can't really look at the good shepherd, or you can't look at anything else until you really understand, okay, I'm the sheep. I have a big problem. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. The psalmist, 119, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. So if you want to make any progress with Jesus, it's crucial to see yourself. It's crucial for me to see myself as a sheep. Tim Keller drives this point home with this quote. Notice that we're continually overestimating or underestimating what we are capable of. Notice that we are continually overestimating or underestimating what we are capable of. For example, your present self thinks your past self was a fool. 
Your present self looks back at your past self and says, well, back then I needed guidance. Back then I didn't understand, but now I see. So your present self thinks of your past self as a fool, but you see the problem, don't you? Your future self will think your present self a fool. When you're 16, you look back when you're 12 and say, well, I was a fool to think and act in such a manner. Yet when you're 25, you're going to look back to when you were 16. Or when you're 20, 50 and you look back in 25, you're going to look back and say, I was a fool back then. And this is how Keller concludes. What this means is that you're always a fool. Yet you're always thinking, I'm just about to get over it. Do you notice how that works? I mean, I'm fi- almost 54. And if I look back when I was 25, I would say, what a fool. I hardly knew the stuff that I, that I could even imagine knowing now. But when I was 25, I would look back and say when I was 16, what an idiot. 16, I would hate to have been my parents. But do you see, when I'm 75, I might look back when I was 54 and say, what a fool. But the whole time I thought I was arriving. I thought I was just about ready to get over my foolishness. And therefore, I really didn't need a savior. I just needed some maturity. If that's what you think, you're never going to see your need for a savior. You're never going to see, I need a good shepherd. Secondly. We have thieves and robbers. So the shepherd comes in, he calls those who are his own. Could be a whole other sermon. But there are other counterfeits that are coming in. They're also trying to get the sheep. And they're thieves and robbers. You see them in verse 1 and 8 and 10. How many of you know what wood veneer is? Wood veneer. You know what that is? That's a thin piece of authentic wood, like oak, let's say. And it's slapped on top of a piece of cheap wood, let's say, like particle board. And it, the great thing about wood veneer is you get a cheap piece of furniture that kind of looks authentic. And you go, well, that looks like a nice wood desk or an oak desk. But, you know, after a while, you realize that's not the same thing. It's usually not very heavy. It doesn't stay together very well, if you've ever noticed it. Because the, the particle board underneath over time, especially if you move the, the piece of furniture, it begins to de- degradate. I remember with Zachary, we were getting a desk from a friend. And uh, it was so embarrassing because we're getting the desk and we're putting it in this um, trailer. And then as we were moving it, the whole thing just collapsed. It's like a house of cards. And we're like, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful desk. What a nice gift. Um, but what it was is it looked good. But underneath it was cheap. You can't ever sand wood veneer because just as soon as you start sanding, you hit the particle board. So what was happening with the thieves and the robbers, the, the religious legalist in Jesus' day, was he's beginning to rub up against these people. For instance, he was healing people on the Sabbath. And that just began to chafe these Pharisees. And what you found out underneath these Pharisees is that they weren't the real thing. They look great on the outside. But as soon as you begin to rub against the grain, you realize they don't have any real substance underneath. They're like this piece of particle board. They're the thieves and the robbers. They were supposed to be these great shepherds who were shepherding the people of Israel, but they weren't. They, they were imitations. They were wood veneer. 
Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about these shepherds. Listen to what he says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. You have not strengthened the weak or bound up the injured. You've not searched for the lost sheep. See, what happens where the priests were using the people, not serving the people. Whenever you get into a religious environment, you ever get into a church, find somebody that you're following. If, they, if you feel like they're starting to use you, it's a pretty big red flag. They, they weren't serving the people. They weren't going out of the way for people. They weren't finding the injured people and binding them up. They weren't finding the lost people and bringing them back home. They were just saying, hey, you all in here, I'm using you for my benefit. That's what was happening. God continues on in Ezekiel 34 says, I'm against these shepherds. I will hold them accountable. I will go search for my sheep. I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. See, when Jesus comes in and says, I am the good shepherd to the Pharisees, they understood what Jesus was saying. And that is, you're not the good shepherd. Move out. The, the real shepherd is here. The one who's come to bind people up, to, to, to find lost people. And when the, he rubbed up against the Pharisees, the Pharisees only had one defense, and that was just to call him names. He's a demon. He's insane. Now, when you think about blind guides or false shepherds, they can show up in the church in many different forms, but particularly the form that Jesus is trying to fight against, and there are quite a few. But this one is the false direction of, of legalism. You got, you got to understand what legalism is before you really un- understand what he's fighting against. And let me give you one definition and then one picture. Here's a great definition of legalism. It comes from a guy named Lee Irons. Christian legalism is the mistaken idea that you've been, in, been accepted into the program, yet you are still on probation. You hear that? Hey, come on in. You're, you're on the inside, but you're on probation. We're going to watch how you act. And if you don't act right, you're out. Many, many people, many, many Christian people, maybe some of you, you've lived your whole life feeling like you're on probation. I mean, I said the sinner's prayer, but I mean, I don't know. I thought this, I did this, I said this. Maybe I'm out now. I'm not following what I think are the rules. Lee Iron goes on to say, the gospel says you are beyond probation. Amen. Because Jesus has passed the probationary test on your behalf. That's exactly what the gospel is about. You don't come in. By God's grace, and then you just stay there by your works. It's all God's grace, the whole thing. And so we're not living our lives on probation. Here's an illustration. Some of you have been taking the uh, discipleship training class that we're offering this segment on uh, Pilgrim's Progress. So if you're not familiar with the story, this guy named Christian, he's on his way basically to heaven. 
And in the very beginning, you encounter a Christian, and he's got this heavy backpack on. He just can hardly stand the burden, and the burden represents his sin. He doesn't know how to get this backpack off, and he runs into a guy named Evangelist. And the evangelist, the guy, the guy named Evangelist says, you've got to go to the narrow sheep gate. Only by going through the narrow sheep gate can you get rid of this burden. So Christian says, I want to get rid of this burden. However it goes, I'll go to the narrow sheep gate. Well, on his way, he gets intersected by a guy named Worldly Wise Man. So Worldly Wise Man comes across Christian on his way to the narrow sheep gate, and they have this conversation. Where are you going, and what are you doing with this great burden on your back, said Worldly Wise Man. Well, said Christian, I'm going to the narrow sheep gate. For I'm informed there that I will enter into a way where I will soon get rid of my heavy burden. Oh, if you had only the patience to listen to me, said worldly wise man. I could direct you in another place where you could obtain your desires without dangers. Sir, I beg you, share with me this secret, said Christian. Okay, said worldly wise man, you will find relief in a nearby village called Morality. In that village resides a gentleman whose name is Legality. Don't you love how Bunyan writes? He has the skill to help rid men of their burdens like the one that you have. So you need to get off the road for the narrow gate, and you need to get on the road that leads you to the village of Morality. And on in that village, there's a man called Legality, and he's going to give you the rules to get rid of this burden. Well, he has to go up a very steep mountain to get to the village. And it seems that the closer he gets to Mr. Legality, the heavier his burden becomes. And he's so terrified, he even feels like this mountain is going to fall on him. And he runs back into evangelism, or evangelist again. And evangelist says, Where are you? what are you doing on this path? No man has ever gotten rid of his burden by Mr. Legality's help. You cannot be set free by works of the law. Mr. Legality is a cheat. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's wood veneer. He's going to make you believe that you can get in, but when you get in, he's going to put you on probation. And if you don't fit into the nice, narrow rules then you're not in. And so many Christians live in that sort of distorted view, always uncertain about their salvation because they've run into somebody who is a thief, who's come to really destroy and not to help. So first of all, we're, we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. We're not very smart. Let's just say that. We're not. Just say that to your neighbor. You're not very smart. You're not very smart. Some of you enjoy that a little too much. And one of the things that you and I fall for is legalism. We're not very bright, so we look at legalism and say, I'm sure I can get in if I just do these ten things. So we go for it. We jump off the cliff, and we don't really realize we're jumping to our own death. So finally, we need a good good shepherd There's three characteristics I just want to point out here very quickly. The first characteristic, verse 14, I know my own. 
And then he supplies an illustration of what it's like for Jesus to know you. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me, I know you. Now think about that. Just the kind of transparency Jesus has with his Father, he has that complete transparency with you. There isn't any spot that Jesus can't see on your soul. He knows all about you. Now think about that. David says this, Oh God, you know my foolishness, my sins are not hidden from you. One main reason Jesus is a good shepherd is that he sees all your spots and he still keeps coming. That's so wonderful. I see you completely, Paul, and I'm not put off by you. I'm still coming for you despite all of your sins. That makes Jesus a great shepherd. Now, I just think about this illustration, a story most of you are familiar with. John chapter 4 is a pretty famous story, the woman at the well. Remember this? He comes to this woman at the well, and she's been married five times. She's on her sixth husband. And she comes at noon because she, everybody knows that the, the kind of lifestyle she has. And she has this dialogue with Jesus about this water, this life-giving water. And finally, Jesus says, hey, I know everything about you. Really? And she tries to change the subject, not surprisingly. And at the end of the story, she meets the good shepherd. And what's very surprising is then she goes back to her hometown and she tells all the people about Jesus. She becomes an evangelist to her town. But this is what's surprising. What did she say? She went back to all these people who know all about her and said, I met somebody who knows all about you and would like to say everything about you out loud. Now, is that a good strategy for evangelism? There's somebody who knows everything about you, and he can just say it out loud. Now, if she'd come back to me, I would say, I wouldn't really enjoy meeting a person like that. I don't want somebody to say everything I've done out loud. I'm actually spending a lot of time trying to hide behind a bunch of stuff. And that's true unless that person's love runs deeper than his knowledge. And that's Jesus. See, so so many people, including myself, are terrified of really being seen. They just show the parts they want people to see. And Jesus comes in and says, Paul, I see every dot. But my knowledge of you only reaches this far, but my love for you goes underneath all of that knowledge. So Jesus is a great shepherd because he sees everything and he still keeps coming for us. He knows everything about us. The second thing characteristic is he lays down his life. Jesus isn't like the hired hand who at first sign of danger abandons his sheep. No, Jesus sees danger and moves towards that. Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. If you just think about that, in in so many prominent world religions, you sacrifice yourself and God gives you something. Think about that. 
if you do these things, then you'll get something in heaven. If you lay down your life, you get something. In Christianity, God has come to lay down his life so that you get something. See, this is what makes Christianity completely different from other world religions. They're asking you to do something, hoping that you can earn a reward. God's saying, no, I'm coming to do something to give you a reward. That's what makes Jesus the good shepherd. Oh, if I had to come up here and say, okay, there's three things you guys need to do this week. You would go away with a heavy burden because you would say, now that you told me, I know I can't do them. Right. You plant some kind of seed in the mind. You're like, I can't do that now. Jesus has come to lay down his life for his sheep, the sheep that he knows by name. Third characteristic of the good shepherd is that he's the only way back to community with God. Verse nine, he's the door. If you want to be saved, if you want to go in and out and find safe pasture, as the illustration says, if you want to, it's a picture of going back into the garden with God. There's only one door. Let me say that again. If you want to get back into a relationship with God, there is only one door. And some of you might say, Oh, there should be more than one door. And I would just want to say, you're a sheep. That's what a stupid person might say. That's what a, what a ornery person might say. That's what somebody who might say who's about ready to go off a cliff. See, if you're well-educated and wealthy and you think you know a lot of things, it's very hard to say that Jesus is the only way and that you're stupid. That's very hard for people to say. But that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say and say, if you would know these things, then you would see I'm a good shepherd. I have come that you could have life and have it to the full instead of the way that you've been going. Let me just close with this last illustration. C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, has a conversation with a girl named Jill in the story, The Silver Chair. And Jill is very thirsty, and she finds a river, a stream, and she wants to come get a thirst, a drink from the stream because she's dying of thirst, but the lion's sitting there, and she's afraid she's going to be, get devoured by the lion. And Aslan says this, are you, are you not thirsty? Oh, I'm dying of thirst. Well, then come have a drink, said Aslan. Um, Would you promise not to do anything to me? Yeah, I don't make any promises. (laughs) Then I dare not come and drink. Then you will die of thirst. Well, I suppose I could go and look for another stream. And Aslan says... There is no other stream. It's a, it's a good shepherd that would come and say, there's a stream at all. And then for that shepherd to say, the way to get back is I'm going to lay down my life for you. 
I'm going to call you even though I know everything about you. And I want you to begin your life with me in complete freedom and not on probation. But to know that I know everything about you and my knowledge of you, my love for you, runs deeper than my knowledge for you. He's the good shepherd. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the good shepherd, uh, we come this morning and pray. I pray for myself. I pray for my friends here that first we could just we could truly acknowledge that we are sheep. That we're in desperate need of a savior. Many of us have maybe even eaten our way off a cliff thinking, well, this is great. And then it's not great suddenly. But you've come to rescue people like that. You already know everything about us. You don't want to live, have us live a life on probation. You've come to give life and life abundantly today and forever. For those, Lord, who are here and are cast down by their own stupidity or by the sin of the world, would you be the good shepherd and come and turn them right side up? Massage their legs so they may walk alongside of you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.